Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. We do not come as a people who are um, coming just in fear and trepidation. There's a reverence to this. This is a glorious scene, the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior, and we see his glory. That should cause us to tremble a bit, but this is a marvelous declaration of who he is for us. And so um, let, me just, let me just ask you to pray for a moment. Again, we've been praying, but um, notice in the text how much praying goes on in the Gospel of Luke. And as Jesus is praying in this text of Scripture, he is transfigured. The glory of the Son of God is revealed in this text of Scripture. And uh, Luke is reminding us over and over again, the kingdom advances our experiences of God are transformed as we seek him in prayer. So I want you to pray a little prayer with me this morning. And, and first, if you're struggling this morning, just tell God you're struggling. Just tell him that it's hard. Tell him you're weary. Tell him that you're frustrated. Tell him what's going on. And then ask a simple prayer. Say, show me your glory. I want to see Jesus today. So would you pray, and then I'll lead you in prayer, and then let's go after Jesus in the text together. The kind of sight we need cannot come by human power. The sight that we need can only come from you, O oh God. We want to see Jesus. We want to be radically altered in the way we're looking at our lives, the way we're thinking about things. We want to see things as they really are. So show us Jesus. Show us your glory. Give us help. Give us hope. Change our hearts. We are weak and frail, inadequate, tired. We hear our own voices in our head. We don't hear Jesus. We are here today for one reason, to meet with God's people as they meet, as we meet Jesus. Jesus, you are here. Open up our hearts. Open up our eyes. Open up our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a good friend um, who's a pastor up in Winnipeg, uh, Canada. And um, when we were young lads, we were pastoring together in the same city. And uh, we began uh, at our church to host a Bible conference. By the grace of God, this conference grew and Churches began to send people, and people came from the region, 
and it was growing and growing. So one particular summer, we were hosting this conference. Parking lot was packed. Every side street had cars up and down the side streets. And uh, little to uh, my awareness, my friend um, came with his wife uh, from the other end of the city to the conference that evening. And his wife came into the conference, but he didn't. And uh, I didn't, you know, I was busy with the conference, didn't pick up on it until the next day. And there were so many people, I thought he might actually be there, and I had just missed him. And he told me that when he pulled in to uh, the parking lot of the church, he said to his wife, let me out. He was so tired, so beaten up, so discouraged, he said he didn't want to (laughs) see what everybody else was celebrating. He didn't want to be in there. He was wrestling with God, and he told me he walked home. He lived seven miles, six or seven miles from the church. It was night, and he walked, and he walked, and he talked, and he pled. And he and I used to go have days of prayer out in the, in the countryside together. We'd take Mondays and pray together, so we were close friends. So he just honestly shared. I couldn't come in. I was so frustrated. Frustrated. I didn't want to come in and see God working in everyone else and not working in me. Not working in everyone else, uh, or working in everyone else, and not working in my church in the way I had hoped it would be. Have you ever had that sort of experience where in your heart of hearts, man, you're just wishing God would work afresh and anew, wishing it wasn't so hard, wishing that somehow you'd get into that sweet spot of discipleship. Now, I use that as an illustration because the transfiguration is a mercy of God to his disciples. They don't get it yet. But later on, we'll see in 2 Peter, at the end of Peter's days, this revelation of Jesus sticks with Peter his whole life. But Jesus has just told the disciples that the nature of the kingdom is a cross. He asked what the people were saying about his identity, and they said, some say John the Baptist has been raised again, some say Elijah has been raised again. Some say one of the other prophets, and then he looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers one of the right questions. He doesn't do so well in this story, but he answers rightly. He says, you are the Christ of God. And then Jesus tells them that the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one that's been announced down through the centuries in Scripture, down through the millenniums in Scripture, this one would sneak in behind enemy lines in humility, and he would go and be hung on a criminal's cross, and there he would destroy Satan, and there he would triumph over sin and death, and his strategy was cruciform, to die. And then he looks at his disciples and he says to them, I've got news for you. That's the way it will be for you. And he says to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross every once in a while and follow me. Is that what he said? He said, take up your cross how often? Daily. Let's be honest about that language. That's tiring. Doesn't it sound tiring? The cross, 
He couldn't have used a stronger metaphor, a stronger reality, actually, for suffering. Daily. And we as Westerners, we're just trying to find that sweet spot of comfort where everything's in line and it just feels really good. And we can walk into worship on Sunday morning and go, how are you doing today? Two thumbs up and however many fingers I have, right? It's going great. It's fabulous. But isn't it the story of our lives in following Jesus that the pathway is hard and the struggle is real? And the call of discipleship is costly. And what ends up happening is we can be frustrated on so many levels. We get frustrated with ourselves. We wonder, what's my problem? We hear the call of discipleship. We hear it. And we, we do a couple of things. On one hand, if we've just been a mess, we can fall into despair. <laughs> what's the matter with me? What's wrong with me? When am I going to get it together? Or we can say, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to double down. I'm going I'm to go for it. And then as we go for it, in our own strength, we realize we don't have what it takes to make it go. And we're, we're much like Luther. Luther, in his pre-conversion experience, trying to be, show his ability to follow and sacrifice and and find Jesus through his efforts. Listen to Luther's description of what it was like for him on the religious treadmill. He says, when I was a monk, I made great effort to live according to the requirements of the monastic rule. I made a practice of confessing and reciting all my sins, but always with prior contrition. I went to confession frequently. I performed the assigned penances faithfully. Nevertheless, my conscience could never achieve certainty, but was always in doubt. Can we just stop here and say, is that you today? never reaching peace, confidence, certainty. He says, here's the voice, you have not done this correctly. You were not contrite enough. You admitted this in your confession. Therefore, the longer I tried to heal my uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more uncertain, weak, and troubled I continually made it. In this way, by observing human traditions, I transgressed them even more. And by following the righteousness of the monastic order, I will never be able to reach it. Just take out monastic order and put Waterbrook Church in. By doing church, by trying harder, by working harder, if I can just get to that place where I can look in the mirror and look at Jesus and feel good. Here's what happens. As The call of Christ to his disciples to discipleship is to take up their cross and follow him daily. He shows them that the hope for them is not looking in the mirror, it's looking at the master. Isn't it a kindness that he goes up on the mountain and takes them and he peels back and unveils something of his purpose and his glory to them? I need to tell you, all we need is a glimpse of Jesus. All we need is a glimpse of Christ. We've been called to follow him. The Christian life is a cruciform life. We get up daily, die daily. Ask him, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And then we try to raise the kids. <laughs> then we try to go to work. Then we try to live our lives and we go, man, I'm not good at dying. I'm really good at saving my life. I'm not good at humbling myself. I want the applause, the approval, the acceptance. I'm not good at this. And Jesus is saying, get your face out of the mirror. Get your eyes on the master. This is grace. It is not accidental that after calling them to take up the cross and follow him, he gives them this vision of glory. And so I want to help you this morning as I'm trying to help myself in this this morning. Some of you came in frustrated. Some of you came in profoundly feeling like you're failing. Guilt and shame have been all over you. I, I want you to see here that the answer, the remedy, is not looking to yourself, but rather asking that by the power of the Spirit, we would see in this text just a glimpse of Christ's glory, that we would grasp the true story of the Bible, Christ's story, and that we would get a grip on Christ's authority. When he speaks, we listen. Listen to him. It's what's said here. So let's walk through this text and let it minister to our hearts together today. So here's the first thing that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. All we need is a glimpse of his glory in order that we might get everything corrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 28. Now after eight, day, now eight days, after saying these things, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, after eight days, Peter, John, and James went up on the mountain with Jesus to pray. As he was praying, something happened. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were doing what? Praying. What, what they always do when praying was going on. Sleeping. They were heavy with sleep, it said. But when they became fully awake, what did they see? They saw his glory. That's why I called it a glimpse of glory. They missed most of the show. They were snoozing as Jesus was shining in radiant splendor. But even a glimpse of it will change Peter's life. And you can imagine throughout Peter's life the echoes of what it was to be a disciple and Peter fumbling and failing time and time again. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Uh, uh, uh. Failure. Denial. Cowardice. I feel like quitting. Jesus in his mercy unveils just for a moment his glory. 
And listen, listen to this description of glory. And, and Gabe helped us earlier by reading this similar text in Revelation. But it says, And while he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. For a Jewish person who was comfortable and aware of and trained and raised in the Scriptures, that picture has clear scriptural references. And... Uh, Philip Ryken in his commentary says, when we see the transfiguration, the change of Jesus' face, when we see him splendorous in, in light and glory, when this happens, he says three things are going on. We are seeing the one who has had glory before the foundation of the world. This is the eternal Son of God who has come in human form. I want you to take your Bibles and go back to the book of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And you will know in the previous text from last week, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7 has this great vision for Daniel of the Lord. In Daniel 7 verse 9, As I looked... Thrones were placed, and the who? Ancient of days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, and a stream of fire issued from him. Does that resonate at all with the transfiguration? That's what they would think of. This is the Ancient of days. This is just like Daniel's vision. Another unveiling, not only to Daniel, now to Peter, James, and John, an unveiling of the ancient of days. That's who this is. This is Jesus, and some of you in the, in the student ministries have been studying the Gospel of John. And you know John 17, Jesus' prayer, Father, I want them to be with me so that they might see the glory I had before the foundation of the world because you loved me. Right? This is the glory of the triune God within the Father and the Son. This is remarkably the glory that appeared to humanity veiled incarnate flesh, right? John writes in his gospel, we have beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Here it is, the God of the universe has taken human form. This is no mere man. This is the God-man come to rescue us. This is not only the ancient of days. This is not only the one who took on human flesh in order that he might redeem us. This is the God of glory that one day will reign over all things for all eternity and all the nations will fall at his feet. Let's go back to that text in Revelation chapter 1 at the end. In Revelation chapter 1, we see this scene that John has a vision of and continually in the Revelation, it's, it's like a drama unfolding where God reveals scenes to John to let him know that there is a reality behind the reality that he sees. 
There is a reality now, friends. There is a reality now outside of what you and I see in this building right now. There is at the right hand of the Father, one clothed in glory who reigns over all. And he is over Russia and the Ukraine. And he is over Burkina Faso and Honduras and Italy. And he is over Victoria, Minnesota. That's real right now. We are to see right now, that behind what we are veiled in this life is glory. Listen to Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head are white like wool, like snow. His eyes like flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze refined in a fire, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. Wow. Friends, that's reality. That's now. That's coming, but I need to tell you this. We need to know that because this reality is our reality. And if I'm struggling today, I don't need to look in the mirror. I need to see Jesus. Peter, in his struggle, sees Jesus. This little wake-up, snapshot, try to keep it, gone, will change his life. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter. Just back a little bit from Revelation. The end of Peter's life. I think I heard Bruce, when he was praying, say the word uh, repeatedly, remind us, O God. Remind us, O God. And Peter, when he writes this letter as he's dying, he says, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to remind you again of this so that when I'm dead and gone, you'll remember it. And he tells of the unveiling of God's purpose and glory in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to live the Christian life is found where? Notice what he says there. Through the knowledge of him who called us, and I think this is a good translation, to his own glory and grace. Some translations say by his own glory and grace, but it seems to me that what Peter is saying is the glory you see in Jesus is the glory we will one day share. He has called us to that by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become our partaker in the divine nature. So imagine Peter waking up, getting a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And as he looks at the glory of Jesus, he has this glimpse of it by the power of the Spirit over time. What he recognizes, there is the God-man shining with glory. Jesus never gives up his humanity. He's glorified. And in seeing him, one day, as John writes, we will become like him. Suddenly, Peter realizes his destiny. 
His destiny is not wrapped up in his ability. It's not looking in the mirror. It's in the reality of who Christ is in his glory. We will share in his glory. We are being changed from glory to glory. That's our destiny. Listen, as he explains it a little further, go down to verse 16. We didn't, find cleverly devi- we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his, what? Majesty. So when? When, Peter, did you see his majesty? When did you capture this look? Listen to what he says. Verse 17, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him where? On the holy mountain. This changes whole life. A glimpse of his glory. I want you to keep your finger here just for a second. So if you're in Second Peter, stay there. But I need to say this. Peter saw his destiny. See, Peter saw Christ's glory. Peter saw the hope of the future, the power to change his life. And friends, the power to change your life is not by looking beside you, not looking around you, not looking at the pastor at the front, getting your eyes on Jesus Christ who is radiant and splendorous with glory and has risen and reigned in order that we one day will share his glory. That is why we have this word of encouragement from Robert Murray McShane, who lived to 29 in Scotland when he died. But this is one of his most famous uh, lines. He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself take 10 looks at Jesus. Is that a great line? So if you came in here groveling, rehearsing your sin, reflecting on your failures, frustrated with your disappointments in whatever role, stop, please. You won't get better. Look to Jesus. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, yet such meekness and grace and, and all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. You can do that by faith today because of Jesus. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so that there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. You want to overcome sin. The way you do it is not doubling down in your strength. You need a greater treasure, a greater pleasure, a greater resource, Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, right? Set your eyes on him. We need to get a glimpse, just a glimpse, of Christ in his glory reigning on our behalf. How did he get there? That's, that's why I wanted you to stay in the text. Because Peter says something else right after this, in Second Peter that will help us understand what's going on in Luke's gospel. If you look at verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word 
more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you want the morning star to rise in your heart? Pay attention. Pay attention. We have the prophecy more perfectly fulfilled. What's he talking about? Well, all the prophecies of the Old Testament, all the prophets of the Old Testament were pointing ahead to another day, pointing ahead to another hope, but we got something better. We've got the reality, right? That's what we have. So let's go back to Luke. Because remember, this is Peter writing at the end of his life there. He's on the mountain of transfiguration in verse uh, in, in Luke chapter 9. So this is the second thing we need. We need to get a grasp of Christ's story. Not just his glory revealed here, but his story revealed here. So notice what he says. After his face was transfigured, in verse 30 it says, And behold, two men were talking with him. Who? Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke about what? His departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What is his departure that he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem? The cross. Right? Jesus has just told them. He's going to tell them again. They don't fully get it, but the Son of Man will be handed over. And they will crucify him, and on the third day he'll rise again. That's his departure. The word departure in the Greek is the word exodus. Exodus in the Greek. You know what they're talking about? Jesus' exodus. Jesus' exodus. Isn't this great? That's why I call this Exodus (laughs) 2.0. Because there was an Old Testament exodus. And there's a New Testament exodus. And the Old Testament exodus brought people out of captivity in Egypt, but it did not bring them out of captivity to sin. It it did not do that work. And if you read through the story of the transfiguration, it is very clear that in Luke's writing and in the transfiguration, we are being shown that this is the true exodus that has all the echoes of the previous exodus. Right? So think about the exodus in in the... Old Testament, when Moses brings the people out of captivity, redeems them through the Red Sea, and brings them to Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, God speaks to the people through Moses, and he says, if you obey my commands, you will be my people. You will be a royal, a holy nation, a royal priesthood to me. How did that go for them? It didn't go very well if you didn't read the book, right? It did not go well. And we see in this text of Scripture all of the echoes. What happened to Jesus when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? What's the first thing we see? His face changed. Do you remember when Moses goes up on the mountain? What happens in Exodus 34, right? His face changed shone. In fact, we're told in the scripture that Moses' face shone, and when he came out, he had this radiant face, and he would speak to the people, and the people would listen with fear and trembling, because they knew he had been in the presence of God. 
And we're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians that Moses would then cover his face so the people wouldn't see the glory fade. Then when he went back into God, he took off the, 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 the veil, glory on his face, came back out, spoke to the people. They would see the glory of God reflected off of Moses. What are we seeing at the transfiguration? There is no one that Jesus is reflecting the glory. Jesus is the glory. The the light shines from without. And it says a cloud comes over the mountain where the disciples are. And, And what was it like for the disciples? Look at the text. Luke chapter 9, it says they... When the, when the cloud came in verse 34 and overshadowed them, they were afraid. Does that sound like the Exodus? We're told in, in Exodus, when, Exodus chapter 19, when, when God comes, the cloud comes over the mountain, it says the people trembled. You see, this is no random accident. What you and I are meant to realize is that here's the great sovereignty of God. In the time of Moses, God is setting up a living play there so that later on in the coming of Jesus, the reality would be displayed to us. And they're discussing not the exodus out of Egypt, but the exodus out of sin and the curse and Satan and death, the cross. It's a glorious revelation here. God speaks and points to Jesus and we are to listen to him, listen to what Uh, Riken says here as well, he says, it is no accident Moses and Elijah were the men who appeared with Jesus because together they represent the entire Old Testament. In those days, people referred to the Old Testament as the law and prophets. And together, Moses and Elijah stood for the whole thing. Therefore, their presence testified that Jesus had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he was the culmination of everything in the Old Testament ancient scriptures. God has accomplished a great new exodus through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? And so you you look back at that old exodus Just think about it. How did Moses do leading the people of Israel? I asked you at the beginning, do you ever feel frustrated with spiritual life? How did Moses do? He failed, right? He's told by God. Like people constantly complaining. And right after his sister dies, they complain again. And God says to Moses, Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out and you can give them drink. And Moses takes his staff, and not only hits the rock once, he hits the rock twice, kind of like you and I want to do sometimes. How long, O Lord? Frustrated. And God says to Moses, okay, you can retire. You're done. Moses is frustrated Because while he could lead people out of Egypt, he could not lead them out of sin. He couldn't lead them out of complaining. What happened to Elijah? Elijah goes up on a mountain, Mount Carmel, fights the prophets of Baal, does a glorious display of the glory and power of God. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar, kills the prophets 
of, of Baal. He thinks this is a victory. He runs with joy and suddenly realizes Jezebel and Ahab are more determined than ever to kill him. And he runs out into the wilderness. I am done. And God comes and says, Elijah, what are you doing out here? And he goes, I'm the only one left. Frustrated, disappointed. And God says, Elijah, you're done. Go find Elisha. Grant him a double portion of the Spirit. Boy, when we look at Moses and we look at Elijah, don't we feel ourselves? Frustrated, can't change ourselves. Frustrated, can't change the world. Frustrated, can't parent our kids. Frustrated, we can't fix anything. That's how we feel in and of ourselves. But here's the good news. There was a greater Moses now. There's a prophecy to Moses in, in, in Deuteronomy 20. Is that 20? I'm going to get 18. Deuteronomy 18, a prophecy, another Moses would come. A better prophet would come. The end of the Old Testament, a new Elijah is coming. A greater Moses and a greater Elijah. Who is the greater Moses? Who is the greater Elijah? It's Jesus. Jesus can do what they can't do. Lead us out of our sin without fail. And give us a share in his glory and inheritance. Friends, are you frustrated with yourself, with your kids, with your church? Remember the story. There's only one who can deliver you. Marianne this morning was reading the Psalms and she read to me Psalm 42. Why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, hope in God. Hope in God. What are we meant to see in the transfiguration? What is Peter seeing here? Why does he write the way he does? There is, a, there is one who is full of glory, who is leading a new exodus from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, out of sin, out of death, through not the Red Sea, but the red blood of his sacrifice, leading us into the glory of our inheritance. We've got to see that story, the unfailing story of God, of Christ. And then we need to listen to what God says at the end of this, if we're going to overcome this, we, we need also then to get a grip on Christ's authority. Notice what happens in the transfiguration. It says in verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my son, my chosen one. What? Listen to him. You need to look to him. You need to understand his story. And friends, you, you don't have to fix it. Just listen to him. What, what is the Christian life? When Jesus, when, when the Father in heaven says, listen to him, it says right after that and then, who did we find with who? We found Jesus alone. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. Only Jesus. 
all I need is Jesus. I just need to hear his voice. I just need to feel his kiss. I only need to listen to him. And that's the battle of the Christian life. Stop listening to yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, um, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, says one of our problems is we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. We need to tell one another, tell ourselves of the victorious truth of Jesus. We need to sing every Sunday. We need to read every Sunday. We need to hear every day of our lives the echoes of the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Listen to him. It is finished. Listen. I will never leave you. Or forsake you. My grace is sufficient for you. See, in Second Peter, Peter says we have these great and very precious promises. Whose promises are they? Paul writes, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Who? If you came in discouraged this morning, frustrated with yourself or frustrated with the people around you, let me just ask you a simple question. Who have you been listening to? And what does the Father say to you? Listen. To Jesus. Come to me. Those of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Jesus has a better word for all of us. Isn't that good? We are not too much like him. But if you came in frustrated, failing, discouraged, you heard come, if you want to be my disciple, lay down your life, take up your cross, follow me daily, and you went, man, I am failing you daily. Don't listen to yourself. Don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He is enough. He is more than enough. That's why we're here, to remind each other to listen to Christ. So let's pray together and ask that God, by his grace, would help us to see the glory and understand this great story that's unfolding and then listen to him. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, We've been listening, but we've been tuned in to the wrong station. Why am I downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. 
Heavenly Father, I pray for each person. I, I just believe that in the tender mercy of Jesus today, you want somebody here today to hear this. You want them to know that your grace is sufficient, that the battle has fought, been fought, that our sins have been atoned for, that we are in Christ, white as snow, that you will never leave nor forsake us because Christ has accomplished the greatest exodus ever out of sin and death through the cross. Thank you, Father. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.